Life Happens with Pimelo Modine. So the very big question today when we look at the world of work is uh, how is it that design, office design, office architecture, light, space can affect productivity. So I've got two people who are going to share some light with us uh, on this very topic. So Debbie Fox is a feng shui expert who is uh, practicing for over 20 years or so. And I'm also going to be speaking to Douglas Kruger. Douglas Kruger has done a lot of work around architecture and how architecture affects how you think, how you feel, how productive you are in the office. They're both joining me on the line now. Douglas, let's start with you. A very good afternoon, Douglas. And thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon, Douglas. Hi. Douglas, you're live on air. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Pleasure to be chatting with you. Well, thank you so, so much for for, for, for being with us this afternoon. Let's just kick off on on the the concept of productivity uh, alongside office design. I mean, is it a big thing? Can you turn around the entire business strategy based on your design of the office? Well, yeah, and the, the question underlying all of that is human malleability. Can we be changed? And the answer to an extre- uh, increasing extent is, is, in simple terms, yes, but there's more to it than that. You can't uh, completely alter somebody's nature, but you can certainly influence a culture and um, you know, set up an environment that increases our productivity and helps to get the best out of our human potential. So the, uh, the research on that is pretty good. Um, and perhaps the most interesting thing, thing we're seeing lately is that some of the older ideas have been uh, outdated and some of them are starting to fall by the wayside. So is the first thing to do is to make a decision on what exactly you want to achieve? And I'll give you a very practical example. So the building where we are right now, the SABC, it's a very old building, but yeah. it's it's perfect for its purpose when it was built, right? Right <laughs> now. Was, yeah. Right now, I think everybody feels that, oh my goodness, you know, it, it's a little bit claustrophobic, it's insular and so on. Very little light comes in. But for the purpose for which it was built, it was perfect. So this building was made to withstand attack. In the apartheid yes, era, so. it was the, the, ex, the, the exact reason why it was built the way it was built is so that if anything happens, we can still broadcast. What Come what may, broadcasting will happen. So we've got dark alleys, we've got, we've got <laughs> underground offices and studios and so on. We've got no light coming in and whatever. But for that purpose, it was perfect. However... It's, it's a very sick building in the sense that we don't have enough light coming in. We don't have enough uh, air coming in and purely because of the way in which it was, it was built and the purpose yes, in and which of course it was it, built. It certainly does have an impact on psychology. And I know from, uh, from visiting your buildings that when I'm shown to, to studios, the place is labyrinthine. And if somebody doesn't hold my hand, you know, I'll, I'll be lost for weeks wandering around begging for food. So, uh, yes, I, I know the buildings very well. Perhaps the the great key to understanding this one is the phrase, we are like this around here. And there's there's a great amount you can do once you take that phrase to heart. Um, And I'll give you an extreme example of this one that that makes the point in a somewhat comical way. Take the the sports car company McLaren. A a friend and fellow speaker in the industry by the name of uh, Steph Duplessis often uses this example. He's actually visited their, um, their offices in the UK. And he says that when you arrive on their premises, you will, the first thing you will encounter after you go through security is a man in a white lab coat measuring and trimming the hedges. Now, he's there every day. He's there all the time. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's ridiculous. And the whole point of that, uh, the, the weird thing is, it's a farce, and even the employees know that. 
And yet it works anyway, because it fulfills this criteria that says visually, we are like this around here. Now, of course, you can imagine that McLaren has a a hyper-focus on detail orientation and technical perfection. And that's what they want out of their, uh, their employees, out of their people, and it's based on their values. So the real question is, what are your values? What, what is it that would bring the best out of your people relative to what you do? I'll give you a couple of examples how, of how that might differ. If, for example, you need a caring and nurturing environment, say, for example, you're, uh, you have a hospice or a school, there are certain visual cues that you could publicly display that create the idea, we are like this around here. And if you go in the opposite direction and make it look cold and bureaucratic, you will encourage counterproductive behavior. You will encourage people not to think of themselves as nurturing caregivers, but rather to think of themselves in cold, formal, efficient terms. Um, And I mean, that's just one example of the type of value you might be after. You might be after something completely different, such as a uh, efficient and fast-paced environment for perhaps a newsroom, or perhaps something creative and unrestrained, perhaps in an, an advertising agency. Uh, you might even value an aggressive, assertive, and highly driven atmosphere, such as perhaps for a sales environment. So you've got to start by answering the question, what are we like around here, and what do we want to be like around here? And that's the key to the whole thing. Hmm. I want to ask Debbie Fox to join us, uh, Douglas, if you don't mind. Debbie Fox is a feng shui expert. And, and good afternoon, and thank you so much for joining us, Debbie. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's very kind of you. So, Debbie, let, let's start, first of all, with just defining Feng Shui for those who, like me, who, who are not very familiar with the term. Okay, Feng Shui means, um, it basically the term means wind and water. It means that it, wind and water is, uh, the, the uh, you know, we, we breathe the air and we're made of water. That's our oxygen and our water makes up our planet. So, Feng Shui covers everything that's to do with us living in a specific space. Like in a building, it's to do with buildings, obviously. I mean, it started off as um, as gravesides. You know, they used to do it in gravesides, but then they moved on to buildings. Um, that's in the old ancient times. But it's to do with how are we in a specific space. We need to be comfortable. We need to be healthy. We need to be wealthy. And that's what um, feng shui um, means. It means however we manage to do it, we create a space that the human being or the animals living in the space, meaning dogs, pets, etc., are comfortable and happy. Otherwise, it's, there's no point. You know, we we can stress and stress and um, so 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 Douglas. Sickness, yeah. So so Douglas, all I heard from Debbie was we need to be wealthy. <laughs> no, 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 I mean we need to be well. We need to be. Um, we need to have good fortune, wealthy, healthy, and um, and, you know, and good yeah. relationships. Of course, I'm kidding. So so let me ask you this, uh, Debbie. Just based on everything that we've discussed with Douglas, Douglas was saying we need to then identify what it is that we, we value as a company so that we can then direct what we want out of the, the space. But from, from where you're sitting, does it matter what we want? Can we have a uniform kind of agreement as to what would be the best space for people in, in a specific environment? Absolutely. I agree with Douglas 100%. You know, we, uh, companies do have to have a focus on which they um, they put their attention. I love the idea of the man trimming the hedge of a, with a little, uh, little, you know, little tape measure. Absolutely. But what we also need to f- focus on is that when we're looking at that environment, we need to look at the people. 
So what's happening with the people in the environment? That's what I tend to focus on. I look at the people. What is the environment doing to the people? You know, Doug has mentioned a fast-paced environment. That's all well and good, but, you know, you can only be stressed for so long. So mm. we try and create, an in- when I work with people in their businesses, I try and create a space where people are comfortable, you know, they're not sitting with their backs to doors or open into, if I can help, but you know, open into the office because they feel very vulnerable sitting with their backs open to the offices. You know, that there's good lighting, that kind of thing. So that the, the, the human, because you people live in a body. You know, they, we've got to work out of a body. And if the body is uncomfortable, you're not going to get the best um, out of that person, if that makes sense. So, you know, it's the coloring, it's the colors of the walls, it's the lighting, it's all things that... That Douglas is probably looking at anyway, but it's lighting. It's you don't use white light. Fluorescent light, although people use it, is not wonderful. Yellow light is better. You know, um, colors, plants. People think plants are just a, a joke in an office, but the human body responds incredibly well to plants, <laughs> to pictures of tr- of trees. They did a little experiment where they had three rooms and there was and, and with a com- just a computer in them. And nothing else, and and then the one room had absolutely nothing in there, and a very annoying um, computer game. The second one had a picture of a, of a of a mountainside of trees, and the other one had a lot of um, pictures of, of plants and trees and mountains. The first person got so annoyed with their computer and the computer game that he just threw the, t- the computer on the floor in a rage. The second person playing this game got less annoyed, and the third person didn't even get annoyed because he was in his environment helped to keep him calm. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It, it does. Now, mm. Doug, just coming to you, what should be driving the values? So, so is it the brand? Is it the people in the building? Because sometimes those are very different, right? So Yes, that, that's actually quite profound what you've just picked up on there because uh, I'm just building on uh, what I mentioned earlier about Say the idea of a caring or nurturing environment. You you might want that, for example, for, um, let's take a school as an example. It might seem on the surface level ideal to, to present a caring, nurturing environment and to set up visual cues that create that idea. However, there, there's a counter-argument that says for the, the students themselves, that could be perceived as too juvenile. They may want something that, that stimulates exploratory, uh, sort of an adventurous kind of feel, and that might be important to them. So there is actually a degree to which you need to look at this from, from two perspectives. The first one is to say, I mean, exactly as, as we've been hearing there, what's good for your people? What sets them at ease? What minimizes and reduces stress? And I think anything that does that is a, is a step forward. You've then also got to say, do we have a distinction between what our people need to be mm. versus, for example, what our customers need yes. to see yeah. or what we need to create? And yeah, examples like the, the hospital or the school show a duality of cultures. You've got the, the service providers yep. and you've got the people coming into the institution. And it's entirely possible that you may need two different sets of visual cues for, for each of those groups. I mean, and for me, that's spot on. So, for instance, Debbie, I, I often find that I've now conscientized myself to asking myself about the people working in the building if the environment actually works for them. So I would often find that a a beautiful mall where it is great for me as a customer to walk Mm. in and it's just light and and gloss and whatever, right? 
But yeah. but but often you, when you look very closely, you find that the workers are standing outside having their lunches with nowhere to sit, and yeah. and, and and there is exactly. yeah. so so this this architecture that actually drives them outside and drives them out of the the building and space because there is nowhere where they can dignify. You know they can sit with dignity and actually eat their lunch or or whatever the case may yeah. be, and and I find that quite cold in a way. And and maybe yeah. customers don't want to see workers sitting and having a lunch, but but there is something uncomfortable that I feel when I when I experience mm. that. I agree a hundred percent. You know that's that's where I also try and speak to people. It's, it's, you know you've as I said the, the the human being is the person that you're employing. And you've got to make them feel comfortable, and and comfortable covers a whole spectrum of things. You know, make them feel welcome. You know, in the business, give them a place to sit. You know, give them a place to chat. Have a let them have things on their desks that are personal because people are moving away from that now. They don't let you have personal things on your desks anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, all that kind of stuff is taking away our humanity. You know, I'll, I'll like to bring in one other thing is that we tend to have too much electricity in the building. Um, and we have too many, too much Wi-Fi. So, um, like in the shopping centres, these people are exhausted by the end of the day because they're just, they're just literally fried with all this electricity and all the the Wi-Fi's going on the whole time. So, so Douglas, what with the new bylaws, what the new laws now, where people are not allowed to smoke within the building? I, I find this so interesting. So, there are now mm. pockets of people who hurdle outside somewhere at a corner, a bit of an eyesore. But we, yes. we've driven them literally outside the building. We we don't want to see them. We want to pretend they don't exist. But they yeah, do. I mean, it's, it's it's fascinating from another perspective as well, which is the reduction of personal freedoms. Yes. I mean, it's not not quite our topic here. Exactly. But uh, while I have no love of, of smoking, there's an interesting sort of moral and, and civic question surrounding that one. But from a from a brand and organisational perspective, you do of course have the option of doing what we might call backstage and onstage. Uh, which is, you know, the, the on-stage is what you're showing to the, the client-facing world, and backstage is a comfortable place designated for your staff to relax, to to take a break, to do whatever it is they uh, they need to do. And building on that one as well, it's fascinating to see how much research has come out recently condemning the open-plan office. Um, and for many of the things that, yes, that our other guest has just mentioned, which is that it is, it's enormously stressful. The most obvious factors that, that come into that is that it's, you know, it's extra concentration when you're overhearing someone else's conversation. It's extra noise, mm-hmm. it's extra stimulation. But one that we don't consider is if you have any degree of introversion whatsoever, which is at least off of humanity, you will find it immensely taxing to try to represent yourself on a telephone call in a conversation, represent your ideas in the strongest possible way, when you know that there's a radius of some six or seven people overhearing you. Mm. And for that reason, um, publications like Forbes and Inc. magazine have uh, recently been publishing articles saying that working from home has become one of the smartest management strategies. Hmm. The, the difference in output from individuals is, is frankly staggering. Sure. Mm, absolutely. If you don't mind, let me just open the lines up. 0891104207. You're more than welcome to be a part of this conversation. And we're talking about all kinds of things, how architecture and design, office design affects productivity, for instance. And just to pick up on what you guys have been speaking about with regards to open, open spaces. So there is a very progressive, what I thought was a very pro- progressive office and building and company in this country, which has now put the CEO in and the open space that you're talking about now mm-hmm. alongside everybody else and in fact 
Nobody has a designated office or chair. Does that make sense? Mm. So mm. You, you arrive in the building and the PA and the CEO and the, in fact, everybody um, sits wherever they find a chair at that moment. No, nobody has a chair that belongs to them. Mm-hmm. To a point, I thought, wow, progressive. I mean, the, 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 what you're getting from employees are saying we are on the same level. We really feel like we're on the same <laughs> level because when the CEO arrives, they've got to scramble for a chair and a desk like everybody else. But having said what you've just said now, I imagine, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about it now. I wonder to what extent that CEO is able to carry out yes. some, some very confidential exactly. stuff, you know? Exactly. Absolutely. Nice I chuck in there that, uh, you know, you, you say progressive, I say nightmarish. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, initially really? I thought it was progressive because I yeah. thought, wow, you know, what a, what a demonstration of what Absolutely. flattening of the okay, structure we, could look like. Got, mm, we've actually got two competing ideas there. And, and I would say that one of them is an exceptionally good one, but, but it comes loaded with a problem. So the good idea is the social cues that say we are all in, in this together as opposed to pointing out the sort of blind hierarchy where to, you know, to, to talk to management, to go up to the 50th floor and find the mahogany office. So, so that's the good aspect of it. It's the, the communication between groups. Now, the negative that you run there is exactly what we just said before, the problems with open plan, which is it can actually be less efficient and more stressful. Now, there are, they've tried a couple of different models in terms of how to get around this one. And... It's, it's different in different scenarios, but if I can give a fairly generic answer to this one, it would seem that what you ideally need is leadership in the middle and the divisions radiating out from that one. Now, the caveat to that is in some circumstances, it's not going to work for reasons um, that are you know, germane to that particular organization. But by and large, if you have leadership in the middle able to talk to all the divisions around them, you have something of a central command and that can work quite well. Nevertheless, though, a complete open plan remains a bad idea. You do have to yeah. have the option of some price. <laughs> Absolutely. So, is that, you know, what, what, sorry, can I just say yes, that? Yes, David, go ahead. Open plan is not a good idea. And besides the fact that you can, you're heard and you can't, you know, you, everybody's listening to what you're saying, mm. even if you've been there forever, you're also sitting in a space where your back is not protected. Oh, yes. wow. And if you if you go into a restaurant, you, if you're the first person there meeting somebody, you wouldn't very very seldom will you sit with your back to the door. You'll always go and sit with your back to a wall, so yeah. if your back is protected and you can see the restaurant and you can see who's coming. When your friend comes and sits in front of you, he, that friend doesn't mind their back to the door because now you're looking out for them. So that's one of the main reasons sitting in an open pl- well not the main but overhearing and the lack of privacy is another one and the stress. But that's yes. also another big stressor is that I don't know who's coming up behind me all day long. Sure. That's another one. That, that's see. quite something. So let me give you a, a personal experience that I've had, which is fascinating to me. So I was in an environment at some point where uh, creative thinking was encouraged, right? So creative thinking was encouraged. And in fact, the one person who, who served as like a mentor to me said to me, you have to, have to always take time out to think. Right. You've got to move away from the desk Mm. at some point and go sit and think. Mm. And there was a particular couch that was there for that very purpose. Go and sit and think. The pinky couch. 30 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. But there's sometimes just walk away from the desk and think. Mm. And then someone had it in them to remove the couch. You Mm. you have no idea 
how that messed up with my mind and my head. Because it suddenly said to me, whoever was making the decisions had it in their heads that thinking was a waste of time. Yes, and that's a visual theatrical cue that, again, tells you what we're like around here. So you, you found that quite distressing. Mm. Yeah. Debbie, your final comments? Um, I would just say that, you know, looking at an environment where people are, are working is to make them as comfortable and as secure as they can be. Reduce the radiation, you know, um, reduce the, um, the difficulties of open plan. Definitely, absolutely do that. And, you know, bring in lots of plants reduce the Wi-Fi effect on people. That's what I would say. Yeah. Debbie Fox, uh, thanks, Shay, expert. Thank you so much. And Douglas Kruger, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for both of you for coming on to this uh, particular conversation. It was really lovely talking to both of you. Uh, how office design affects productivity. That conversation will be available as a podcast. It's 2 o'clock. Let's go to Utsi Lesaku for the latest in SABC News.